Just want to make mention to any of you who are in the sun right now, if you guys feel like you need to migrate at any point throughout the time, feel free, find the shade. Also, don't mind, don't mind the kiddos. This is great. I love that we get to sit together and enjoy being outside together and also have, have a bunch of commotion. This is, this is great. Um, before we get started here, I just want to go ahead and welcome any of you who are here for the first time. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. You picked a great Sunday to be with us because we're about to have a nice feast together. This doesn't happen every Sunday. I, I'm sure you probably realize that by now. But you can be sure that you're welcome to be with us at, at any time. I also want to welcome any of you who are from Akron that are here with us this morning. Thank you guys so much for, for making the trip down here. We really appreciate you guys uh, and your, your support of us and the enjoyment of being with us. Um, the smell you're smelling means that we're having a hog roast, which hasn't happened in two years. And like Steve was saying before, we wanted to make this a bit of a youth Sunday by taking what the youth experienced about a month ago and re and invite the rest of the church into that and so that we can experience this together. So if you're involved with youth camp at any level, could you go ahead and just stand, whether from our church, from Akron, just stand for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being a part of that. All right, you can be seated. I just wanted wanted people to see just a, a segment of our church, especially that that experiences youth camp every year, and it's just a, a a place where we get to come together, have a have a focused time of fellowship and digging into the word together. Especially, you want to thank Pat. Pat's in the back back there. Pat, can you raise your hand? Pat is from Ak the Akron Church, and he is the biggest part of supporting and organizing this whole thing. So if we could thank Pat, too. Thanks, brother. Appreciate all the time and hours that you put into this and uh, how it serves us as a result. Um, so rather than, rather than tell you from my perspective what sort of an effect that youth camp can have on a teen's life, uh, I thought I thought we might hear from a, a camp vet uh, who's Matthew Sanders and uh, asked Matthew if he'd share a bit of his story to get, just give you a window of how the Lord can use youth camp over a prolonged period of time. So Matt, why don't you come up, come up, come on up here and we'll get this mic hot for you. So I am Matthew Sanders. Most of you guys probably already know that. Um, but this last summer was my seventh year at youth camp as a camper. Um, so as you might be able to tell, I don't really care for it. It's not really my thing. Um, no, but in all seriousness, camp is an absolute blast. I look forward to it every year. Um, there are so many great things, even just on a surface level, of uh, playing great games and the competition and the camaraderie with your team. But on a deeper level... Um, it always serves as an excellent opportunity to be able to recenter myself on core biblical truths that we cover um, and to be able to worship with peers and progress um, meaningful relationships um, that are based on the foundation of worshiping Christ together. Um, and uh, I have... It's profoundly affected my life. Um, it's served uh, 
to, uh, well, it's kind of funny because this year's theme was Gospel Reset, um, which I thought was very accurate, uh, but it's kind of served that purpose for me all throughout my um, camp career um, to allow me to spend dedicated time in the Word and uh, allow me to kind of recenter myself and um, just re-acknowledge these core biblical truths. So I would highly suggest it for anybody who can get there, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to participate going into the future now that I graduated in uh, some other way. But yes, I would highly suggest it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and, and we get, those of us who aren't campers or have never been campers like myself, we get the benefit of watching the Lord do His work in our youth and, and teens, especially, like Matthew was saying, over a prolonged period of time, especially if, if given the opportunity. So that just gives you a little bit of a perspective of why we wanted you all as our church to be aware of this and also to be invited into that gospel reset that we covered a month ago. So in an effort to do that, um, please open your Bibles to Colossians 3, 1 to 4. So our theme wasn't just built around this uh, kind of 8-bit video game. It was, it was mainly about uh, gospel reset, about how the good news about Jesus resets our past by opening the door to real forgiveness, how it resets our present by proving that the ascended Christ is alive and ruling in heaven, and it also resets our future by preparing us for the return of our victorious king. And hopefully for those of you who are there, that sounds a little bit familiar from what we went over. But our hope this morning is to bring a refresher to those teens, but also dive in the, into this together as a church. So that's why we're going to focus on identity reset this morning, how the gospel of Christ has fundamentally changed who we are. In fact, it's so foundational and so miraculous that God uses that to bring us from a place where we don't resemble the person that we were. For those who haven't been to camp, somewhere along the way, Pastor Darren from Cleveland or Pastor Jace from Akron will work in an illustration from the, Lord, the beloved Lord of the Rings. I don't have anything for you from the Lord of the Rings this morning. Sorry to let you guys down, but I do have something from The Hobbit, if that makes the cut. Some of you say I'm splitting hairs, but that's beside the point. Here's, here's how a story of, of a brief interaction goes in The Hobbit. The wise wizard named Gandalf was assembling a team to help a few dwarves reclaim their homeland, which was inhabited by a fearsome dragon. He needs the help of a small hobbit named Bilbo Baggins, who is light of foot and would be a big help sneaking, sneaking past this dragon. However, Bilbo, who has become comfortable with his little life, is rather set in his ways, so he'd prefer not to leave his home of bag end. He doesn't like change in the slightest. And so goes their conversation. Gandalf says, The world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. Bilbo says, I can't just go running off into the blue. I am a Baggins of Bag End. Then later, Gandalf tells him, 
You'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. Bilbo asks, can you promise that I will come back? Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. By the end of the adventure, Bilbo has changed a lot. He has gained courage, friendship, and a tale or two to tell. You can honestly say that he's not the same person that he once was. Well, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save them from the wrath of God against their own rebellion so that they can have eternal life also is not the same that they were before. In fact, if you believe in Jesus, you are utterly different. You are a totally different person than you used to be even if you have been a Christian for what seems like your whole life. You are so different that Scripture talks about an old self as, it, as if it's a former version of you. Something changes in us when we take a trip into our own grave and back out the other side with Christ. But we don't usually feel any different. I know a lot of you can probably attest to that. Some of, some of you have probably heard how amazing it is to know and love Christ and to be loved by God, that it makes you sick because that's not your experience. You've seen a lot of believers talk about joy who are the grouchiest people you've ever met in your life. Or those who talk about the eternal hope they have in Christ who are the most anxious and fearful people you've ever seen. Or maybe you've lived that yourself. Maybe you're trying hard to experience the promises of God, but they couldn't feel more out of touch with your day-to-day. One author I read this week called this The Gap. The gap between who the Bible says we are and the real world of our life. They don't seem to connect. You feel the good news that we proclaim Sunday after Sunday is supposed to encourage you and make you smile or sing or even cause you to charge into hard situations like a champ. But it doesn't feel like it's doing that. It hasn't brought you to that place. I'm not going to lie to you and I'll say I feel that way most days. Maybe you teens have sat looking at church, stroking your chin, thinking, I just, I just don't get it. None of it seems to make a difference, or at least it seems like people are putting on a show. Maybe that's not just for teens, but for some of you who have been skeptical for a good, a good while now. That's where a lot of us are at. But our goal this morning is to grasp that believing in Jesus makes a real difference in your life. Why? Because when someone trusts in Christ, real things change about who they are. You become an entirely new person and your identity is reset. The answer to finding true joy and feeling the difference that the good news of Jesus makes isn't to think harder or trust harder or do better. The answer is to come before the Word of God because inside of God's Word is your ID card. The Bible has a lot to say about who you are. It gets you. It gets you better than you do, which is part of the reason why we read from it, to let it shape how we understand ourselves, our God, and our world. Most days we forget who we really are and who Jesus made us into, so we not only need reminding, we need this to sink into our hearts through faith. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 spells out some of your ID card, which is where we'll be this morning. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. <clears throat> For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Bear with me just a second and grab some water. How would you sum up that passage? We might skim it over and say, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Okay, so this is telling me that I should seek the things that are above, right? Seek godly things, seek things that are good. Okay, cool, that's it, that's, that's the gist. I can't tell you how many times I've done that and it's just amazing how automatic it is to treat our Bibles as if it's just here to give us advice. That's all that it exists for. But these commands will, if they're in the forefront, will cause us to miss beautiful stuff. The commands are good and they're necessary, but I would venture to say to you, that's great got a great great lag echo in here so I would have I would venture to say that that following through on those commands isn't gonna happen unless what this says about us has sunk deep into our hearts and it's telling us amazing things about who we are here's the gist of it though it may not always feel true you have been raised from the dead and your new life is found in Christ Though it may not always feel true, you have been raised from the dead and your new life is found in Christ. Just got two, two points to kind of sum up this, this passage. First is something very real has changed about you. Plain and simple. Something very real has changed about who you are. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians because they need to get something straight about the fact that, that Jesus is none other than God himself. He's not some angel or some good spirit. And part of explaining that means explaining what sort of difference he makes in the lives of the Colossian church. They had some serious misconceptions about Jesus and we'd be wrong to think that we don't have a few things off in our own understanding about who Christ is and who he made us into. Is Jesus a psychological crutch? Is he just a figure to follow? Or is he a real person who lives eternally and has made an entrance into my life in ways that are significant and yet somehow mysterious too. We want to know what difference it makes because we're often not feeling the difference. If you're a Christian, here's the first very real thing that has changed about you. It's right there in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. In a few words, that's saying a whole lot. And here's the question. Have you been raised with Christ? It's a rhetorical question, though, because Scripture answers it with a resounding yes for Christians. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, you have 100% been raised with Christ to new and eternal life. Your body hasn't changed. The life you're living now, though, is completely different. God, in His power, has raised you with Christ and made you alive just like He is alive. But in order to be raised, 
you had to die first. Which is found a little bit later in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have been raised with Christ because you have first died with Christ. Now how is that possible? How is it that you're here walking around, sitting at the four seas, and it can be said of you that you are someone who has died and come back to life? Well, it's because when you trusted in Christ, you accepted an invitation to be a part of the death he died so that you could be part of the unkillable life that he lives now as the one who conquered death. Listen to what Romans 6 says. Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our, my, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That is astounding. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Do you know that Christ will never die again? Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I'll ask you this again. Do you know that the person sitting in your chair is a new person if you've trusted in Christ? Do you know that one day the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to know that Jesus' death was to save you from your own filthiness make you right with God and bring you in as his child. And at that same moment, the old you died and your new self came out of the grave with Christ's life inside of you. That all might sound whack at first, but it's true. Dare, dare to just believe that. Dare to trust that God's not duping you by saying that you are a new creation. Dare to believe what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Because Christ lives in you, guess what? You are 100% safe. And that's what Paul means in verse, verse 4 when he says that your very life is hidden with Christ in God because you died and have been raised up. And because of that, Christ has you. Your life is his now, never to be taken from a place of safety. And by safe, I don't mean free from anything painful. Many of you know what it means to have your life hidden with Christ and still experience great pain, prolonged suffering. But here's what I mean, and here are some things you can count on. Safe. Who you are is safe and protected. 
we talked about this a, a few weeks ago in youth Bible study. The world around us is scrambling to identify who they are. Am I an accident? Am I on purpose? Am I gay, straight, bi, or does my attraction define who I am? Am I a Democrat or a Republican? Am I damaged goods or am I worth something? Am I successful or a failure? Am I a model Christian? Am I the right height and weight? Am I enough for my dad? Am I a burden to my mom? Am I a loser parent? Am I just a summary of my past? Am I just that same insecure kid from years ago? Is my life labeled under engineer or teacher or store clerk or nurse? Am I defined as the divorced person or the depressed person? Am I the adopted kid? Am I the outcast or black sheep in this group of people? Am I? Who in the world am I? Well, you know who you are, brother and sister. You are Christ. You are Christ. If you have trusted in him and been raised to life, you are Christ and nothing else. Your life, your identity is hidden with him. It is wrapped up in the fact that he loved you and gave himself for you. Your ID card reads, a sinner made by your creator, saved by grace, raised from the dead, and loved by God himself. I cannot stress that enough this morning, that the fact that you are Christ is all that you need for surety and certainty that this is who I am. I don't need other defining factors to help sort that out or figure that out. I can be confident in at least one thing, and it's that I am his and, and nothing is going to touch or change that fact. The search for you can be over because by saying, I'm Christ, and by him saying, you're mine, that is who you are at base level. That doesn't mean, though, that you'll feel completely settled in who you are. We still wrestle with that. We still wrestle and are searching for some kind of significance elsewhere because friends my heart breaks for you if you're just stinking tired of trying to figure out who you are trying different things to see if you feel at home trying to find the skin that you feel significant in if you believe in Jesus he tells you loud and clear who you were who you are now and who you will become one day God knows your flaws and all and loves the fact that he has made you alive with his son. Your life is hidden in Christ. Here's what else that means. Your eternal future is also safe. Again, not implying painless, but you can bank on the fact that your eternal future is safe. Jesus says in John 10, 29, My Father who has given, me his sheep, given his sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch those sheep out of the Father's hand. You have died and have new life in him because he paved that path for you by dying and rising himself. And you'll never enter that spiritual grave again. I think that plays a part in some of why we're afraid to die is we feel like Yes, all life as I know it is going to change. But there's still this lingering thought that I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. 
But the reality is that the Father will, will not let any of His sheep exit His hand. You will never enter the spiritual grave that you have already gone into and come out of ever again. You will face a physical grave, but guess what? He'll take you up out of that grave as well. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Your life is safe with Him so much that it's guaranteed that when He appears, you're going to be in glory with Him. You won't be lost in translation somewhere. You won't be forgotten or abandoned. When He appears, you'll be right there with Him. Christ is your life. Christ is my life. That might sound confusing just when you try to flesh it out. But it's to say that the life we're living right now is indestructible because it belongs to and sits in the hands of our Savior. Our life has been infused, so to speak, commingled with His life to the point where now you don't get my life without Christ's life and vice versa. There's no Christ that doesn't involve me. That is amazing to sit on and think about. He is so much my representative that he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't go before the throne without involving and including me and you. Now, that's something that we can pick up midday and run with, or we can start the day with, or we can end the day with. Christ is my life, and I am hidden in him, which means he's on my side at every point. That's what leads the psalmist to have courage to say, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And it also gives Paul the courage to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can change his mind? Tell me someone who can change God's mind and say, you are no longer mine. Christ is not your life. God is for us, who can force him to be against us? And the answer to that, friends, is nobody. Nobody, no thing can change God's mind. The Lord is on your side. Your life is safe with him. Not painless, but safe. So safe. So that is what has changed about us. Christ is now our life. Point number two, that change that's happened matters for your every day. I've skipped around a bit because half of this passage talks about who you are and half of it talks about how that should affect your life or how you should look different as a result. It matters that your life is united to Christ for each moment of your day and here's why. It keeps your eyes off of the ground and lifts them to things that are wonderful and glorious. Paul says the same thing kind of in two different ways. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I remind you again, you have died and you have been raised, so you don't have to settle for the purposelessness and wickedness of a face that is pressed into the gutter of life. Live the new life that God has made for you. 
a life set on enjoying God and making Jesus known to a world that hates him but needs him. Set your mind up there rather than being trapped in a world that can't think outside of me, me, me. Set your mind towards spiritual realities found in the word rather than getting sucked into the news cycle or the gram. Your resurrected life can be set on something different. That's why Paul moves on after these verses to say, put off sexual immorality and evil desire and the idolatry of covetousness and seething anger and vindictive malice. And then put on compassionate hearts towards people and humility and patience and forgiveness towards brothers and sisters who wrong you. Those aren't just raw commands given to burden us. They're commands that flow out of who Christ has made us. Put off sexual sin. That is not you anymore. You're not someone who has to look for the next high because you have been given the one who satisfies. You're new again. Who you're made to be is pure. Stop deceiving people to get what you want. That's not you anymore. Don't spend your life on what won't last. That short-sighted former man or former woman isn't you anymore. Let's put away the gun that fires harshness and wrath at people. That person died on the cross with Jesus and it's not you anymore. Who you are is made to be clothed in meekness without the need to defend themselves. Who you are is someone that the word of Christ dwells in richly and who lets the peace of Christ rule in them. Who you are rushes to forgive because you've been forgiven much and loved much. You see, you'll have no reason to seek the things that are above or put off and put on these things unless you see your life as completely remade and your identity totally reset. Ephesians 4 says to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The spirit is calling us to step into a new manner of life that doesn't resemble how we would normally live in our sins by shedding what is old about us. And I confess to you, some of you might be in this same boat. If you, if you came to Christ when you were young and you just have no recollection of what you were like before Christ, this is a, this is a call to identify what Scripture speaks of as your new self, your new identity, and walk in that. Also, recalling if you don't remember, let Scripture describe to you what you were like the moment before you trusted in Christ, whether you were 5, 10, whatever. Let Scripture define and, and kind of paint a picture. This, this is who you were, and now this is who you are in Christ. And that's not the cheap version of kind of like just be you. Just be you, that's it. Oh no, that's, it's the joyous reality that Christ has made you into a new person who doesn't have to live in self-destructive rebellion anymore. By God's grace, you can put on the new self which has been purchased with Jesus' blood and created by God so that you might live in true righteousness and holiness. And that's possible for you, friends. Some of you need to hear that that is possible 
by the power of the Spirit. You might feel like you've tried to do so too many times and you end up back on your face where you fell last time. You might feel like a wash of a Christian. You might feel like what I've said this morning won't make a lick of difference tomorrow because you feel predictable. But that doesn't mean you've lost your chance somehow to walk in faithful obedience. You are still that new creation. That has not changed. And so long as that's true, which we're saying that it's going to continue to be true of you until you are with Christ in glory, then you still have that spirit that Christ gave you in order to walk in in such a way. You still have the same Savior presiding over and ruling over all creation who loves you. Seek the things that are above. What's to be said for those whom this change of identity, this reset, hasn't happened to? What if you haven't believed the news that Jesus died and rose again for someone like you, whether you're a teen or you're a familiar face here or you're with us for the first time? Friends, I have to tell you that your ID card that we've kind of seen in Colossians couldn't be more opposite. Instead of raised with Christ, your ID card reads that you stand internally dead in your sin. Instead of appearing with Christ one day to live with Him, you will appear before Him as your judge who must repay sin with punishment, even eternal punishment. That's who you are. Even right now, no matter how much we try to change that, that is the Bible's description of your identity. And that's who we all have been at one time. Don't, don't let anybody fool you. We have all, that's been a description of all of us. And only one thing can change or reset that fact. And that is the Holy Spirit making you alive. If you trust that your life was put to death with Jesus on the cross where he died for your sins, then you will also be raised up with him. And he will save you from all of that punishment. You will have new life, a life that will last forever. Even though you're not guaranteed to feel fine and dandy, you will be Christ's. So to all of us, whether you're in that spot this morning or you've trusted in Christ and just had a hard time feeling that he has made a difference in your day-to-day, he's ready to give you the Holy Spirit. He won't deny you if you ask, so says Luke 11. And you know what? For those whom he gives the Spirit, just listen to what Romans 8, 9 through 11 says. This is another bit of an identity statement. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit is here to stay in you because you have been joined and united to Christ. And He's going to bring you all the way through. He really will. He's going to take your body that's degrading and will likely die and He's going to breathe life into it so that your resurrected body will join your resurrected soul renewed and enabled to enjoy living with Christ forever. 
That's mysterious and wonderful stuff. And those promises are what can sustain you, even when your life feels sapped of the new life that we've been talking about. Excuse me. As Christians, we've all gone on an unexpected journey. And like Bilbo Baggins, we've come back changed. We are not the same people. I think that's something that we as a church can revel in. We are not who we were. We belong to God. We are His. He is ours. And I hope this morning that our lives will look different simply out of the overflow of us proclaiming to Christ what a husband and wife proclaim to each other. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is who I am. I belong to God who has rescued me, who has made me clean, who has redeemed my life, and who has resurrected my heart. I'll leave you with this. Can I just encourage you to ask the Spirit to help you bring that truth to mind in your darkest moment this week? When you feel out of touch with God or when He feels absent, that your life is Christ's. My life is Christ's. Hidden in Him. Kept by Him. Loved by Him. Let it give you courage to face the day. Let it motivate you to work with all your might or to take lots of ridicule from others or to take the next step in resisting temptation or being patient with your kids. I am Christ's and that means something to me. It means that I am not made for simmering anger or bitterness anymore. It means that I am not made for carelessness or disconnectedness I am made for more because Christ has raised my life from the six-foot-deep grave I had been living in before. And for a moment this morning, after we pray, let it draw you to sing because your new self was 100% wired to sing and thank God and rejoice in what He's done in you. Let's pray together.